0: Welcome to the NC4 podcast. We exist to know Christ and make him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's word. We're still teaching on our series about the DNA of New Covenant, or if you want to put it in letters, it's the NC4DNA, M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. These are our letters here. These are a sample of the key characteristics of this fellowship that we would like to celebrate. And more importantly, this is the DNA that we want to pass on to the next generation to safeguard our future as a church. So let me summarize where we've been in this series up to now. The first message in the series, Pastor Jack taught on church as the family of God. It's our new covenant paradigm for how we organize ourselves. And the message title was called Angels in the Architecture. But it talks about the family of God as the centerpiece. So I know there are other churches that talk about the army of God. They talk about other paradigms for organizing the kingdom and organizing themselves. But we are, in fact, what we call the family of God is how we build ourselves. Message number two was this one. Our DNA is really characterized by a word, made up word, but it's a good word. It's called eucharismatic, which means Eucharist and charismatic mixed together because we value a balance of the liturgical and sacramental traditions alongside the active use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All this in alignment with the scriptures as our guide. Message number three, more on that. Another very important piece of our DNA is the value of the authority of scriptures that is the written word of God over our lives. Message number four, was the characteristic of us that places a very high value on the manifest presence of God at our various gatherings. I had a sense of God's presence today, smaller in numbers perhaps physically in this room where we stand today, but I believe we had a sense of God's manifest presence here today. I sensed it myself. So today's message, the fifth one in this series, is a presentation of the DNA trait of being a unifying church. And what we mean is, NC4 envisions our call to be a unifying resource across denominations, across cultures, and dare I say, even across this world, which we'll talk a little bit about. So we've had some very challenging conditions this year. I hope if you were alive, you noticed that. And yet we've tried to address some of these needs, some of these concerns of all the members of NC4 simultaneously, graciously, thoughtfully, and prayerfully. The pandemic we're in, the racial unrest, the political campaigns, they will all do stresses in the fabric of our church relationships. Even on this side of the national elections, with a new season of unity that's been promised to us, I see nothing but more division. And the effects are being not just felt inside our country, but actually inside our church. So pray, pray for our church, pray for America. And last year we heard messages that were even addressing this unity of the church. And at that time we were talking about church with a small c, referring to us, NC4. But today's message is intended to inspire us all to participate in unifying the church, capital C. I'm referring to the church outside these walls, the church in our communities, the church across the globe. That church is what we want to talk about today. So my first concept that I want to bring out today, my title being the unifying mandate I'm using scripture segments from John 17 and also Ephesians four. And if you could turn there in your Bibles to John 17, we'll begin and let's pray over this word right now. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you spoke such eloquent words that caused John to write them down and to record them in such detail that today, Lord, we get to hear your words again and again to us. So we take them to heart, God. We take them to heart because of the power that is in your word. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, a little bit of background on the text before we jump right into John 17. This is listed as being the last prayer that was ever recorded in John's gospel. If you have a red letter Bible like I do, you would see that there's a lot of things in Jesus' words after this, but they're not prayers. This is the last prayer. In fact, in most of our Bibles, we have a highlight of a section that we're there. It's notated in print Bibles. This is called the high priestly prayer. This is the prayer that Jesus prays when he is with his disciples for the last time. It includes language that's very unique to John's writing style. And it's a view into the Jesus own prayer time with his father in the presence of the apostles. They were listening into this whole prayer. So can we turn to John 17 and I'll begin then at verse 20. I've selected the ESV today. Unfortunately, the print Bible I have here is not ESV. So I have to adjust some of the warning here because the ESV is key to what I want to say today. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I want to be explicitly clear about something. Jesus is praying for us who believe. We're included as the object of this prayer. It's hard to believe he could think that far ahead considering he's about to give his life but he thought about us because he knew the far-reaching implications of the act he was about to participate in. He makes multiple references in about the relationship between him and the father that you father are in me and I in you that they may also be in us. This is key because it offers us some understanding of the quality of of the oneness that Jesus prays for us. And so to grasp the nature of this oneness that he asks for, we have to understand something about the relationship Jesus had with his heavenly father. Now, historically, there's been a lot of theological pondering about the nature of this relationship between Jesus and the father and the Holy Spirit. Some refer to this mystery of the unity in the trinity that though they are separate, they are one. It's also referring, sometimes it's called the three in one. It's, but we say Trinity. And some theologians marvel at this diversity and yet unity simultaneously present in the Trinity. So we have to admit, this is a mystery and it's wonderful and it's glorious in itself. And it's a whole sermon series on its own to investigate more about the Trinity. But we just need to understand this. We need to look at the Trinity to understand what the kind of oneness is that Jesus is praying for us to have. Further this, Jesus hinges the success of his entire mission on earth to this prayer. It all hinges on this. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. By the way, here at New Covenant, our mission shadows this phrase. Our mission is to know Jesus and to make him known. That is based on this prayer. All of this fulfillment to that simple final prayer was captured by John in his writing of his gospel. So the scope of this prayer that Jesus has is broader than just a single church of nice people who believe in Jesus. The prayer addresses all who will believe in me. This prayer has massive, global, universal implications. If ever there is to be a church planted on planet Mars, this prayer will apply there too. And listen, there's no expiry to this prayer, for we know that of his kingdom there will be no end. So this prayer continues to apply. It is a huge prayer. It's massive. So if this prayer for our oneness, this unity that is so critical to Jesus' mission and our mission, should it not also be one of our values in fulfilling our mission as the local church? And that's why it is a value that we say is an essential part of our DNA. So we must ask ourselves this question Will we be the answer to Jesus' final prayer? Will we be the answer to that prayer? Good question. The disconnect between this grand scope of Jesus' prayer versus the present lack of oneness between churches, between denominations, never mind that, even within our individual churches, that lack of oneness, that discontinuity should challenge every one of us to our very core. How could Jesus pray such a massive prayer, and yet we so lack the oneness that he prays for? Well, despite this discontinuity, we have reasons for hope, which brings me to my first point. We must overcome a history of disunity. That's disunity in the church, capital C, the university church, as well as within our individual churches. Now, we as humans are designed by God for relationship. You could even identify that if you follow the whole thing from Adam and Eve. God said it's not good for Adam to be alone. So except for the extreme introverts in this world, all people naturally seek out life with other people. We are the social animal, they call us. So naturally, we form clubs, gatherings with other peoples of like mind or common backgrounds. However, we also have some of the DNA of Adam and Eve in each one of us. You know what that means. We're children of the fall. And as fallen children, we mess up relationships. We do it all the time. And yet, as in John's revelation, he says this, God will one day have oneness with worshipers from every nation, every tribe, people, and language. Wow. So someday we'll get there. We know that because we get the report from John's revelation. That is our relationship with God will bind us together with a common bond because of what Jesus did to reconcile all of us to God. But unfortunately, until we get there, we are yet broken, fallen, fallible people. And we have to labor to overcome this long history of disunity. So I'd like to investigate some of that history. I don't have time to go into all of the history because it has probably, that's good for a university or seminary class. But instead, I'll keep it short for all our time's sake. The book of Acts and beyond, the early church was not without its conflicts and controversies. Thank God we know there were controversies. And even so, there were some unifiers. These were people who worked to preserve the unity of the faith. You see, when the Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2, the Jewish Pentecost festival was going on, and visiting participants in Jerusalem were from all sorts of various linguistic groups, nationalities, but they all were Jewish in their faith and practice. But then by the power of the Spirit, they all heard the works of God being declared in their own languages. Whether that was in the miracle of the speaking or the miracle in the hearing, we don't know. But we do know they all heard the works of God in their own language. So Peter then got up, shared the gospel of Jesus thereafter, and 3,000 people got saved that day. What an outreach, what a crusade. All by the unifying power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit authored that whole thing. But then fast forward, Acts chapter 15. The first Jerusalem council had to be called. They had to discuss and pray to resolve a schism that was forming between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. They needed to be united in both their faith and practice. And they were not. Obviously, the Gentiles coming back without any Jewish background were missing something. But they were united together because of the gospel that called them together. People of different religious backgrounds and cultures called together because they heard the calling of the good news. Well, this could easily have been the formation of the Gentile church and the Jewish church. But the council believed this. Gentile and Jew can be saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Thanks be to God. This achieved unity and kept them one. And then the Apostle Paul, if you read through all of his epistles, you'll find out he was constantly trying to unify the churches to avoid local church splits. In Corinth, factions formed based on cults of personality, of all things. Paul reconciled these factions by reminding them this. He said to the Corinthians, Christ is not divided, and that you are all baptized, all of you, into Christ Jesus And the cross is what unites us as one. Paul wrote this. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So we learn that Paul the unifier had this in mind. This is what he said. Essentially, he said this. The main thing is to always keep the main thing the main thing. That's what Paul, he didn't use those words, but that's what he, let me say it again. What Paul was intending to say was, the main thing is to always keep the main thing, the main thing. And see, that's the principle that keeps the church united, always keeps us on focusing on what we share, not what divides us. You know, someone has done a study of the different doctrines of the Protestant denominations and found that we share in common 98% of our beliefs and yet we divide over the difference of 2% of what we believe. How can that be, and why is this? Listen, brothers and sisters, when we lose focus on the main thing, we're open to many things that could potentially divide us. Do you see that? Recall last March, we had a message given to us on the one accord unity that Paul was trying to encourage at the church at Colossae. And he wrote this. Here there is not Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. See? Keep the main thing the main thing. And our history of schism throughout the ages of Christianity, which, by the way, is a bit embarrassing, didn't always end well. And the church can yet, that has a history that can teach us today Important principles we ought not to forget. And in the early churches, they were growing and expanding to keep a uniformity of doctrine. They created things like the creeds. In the early councils, the Council of Nicaea, the Council of Chalcedon, they all attempted to root out some kind of divisive heresy. And they were creating statements that would unify. This is what we're unified around, this set of beliefs there were again god had key influential people that had a burden to maintain unity in the church and that our f- our faith should be expressed with unity all across the world by the way the word that's described as having a universal worldwide faith is the word catholic that's what the word catholic means it means universal so hence the creeds capture the beliefs of the faithful. Some of them were unable to read, but they memorized the creed. It was read every Sunday in their church services. They, some of them didn't even have access to the Bible, but the creeds kept them unified. Now here's some examples of disunity, and these are big ones. The Great Schism of 1054. Some of you have probably never heard that before. The Western church split from the Eastern church. It started a fight over one word that was added to the Latin version of the creed. It was the word filioque. How many of you have ever heard of filioque controversy? Two people, all right. So I'm gonna educate you. In the Western church, they added, and the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the son they added that word in there just to say that Jesus was also the source of the holy spirit and there's plenty of scriptures that back that up but because the western roman church did that without consulting with the eastern church they split over this more than that they said we believe the papacy that is where the pope resides should be in rome no we think it should be in constantinople and you know what that Division divides even to this day. Where's the unity? Fast forward, 1517. In 2017, we just celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Martin Luther tried to reform the church he loved, but he was told by that pope, you must recant, otherwise you'll be treated as a heretic. And of course, we know the famous stand that he took, He stood upon the scriptures for the basis of his faith. And he said, I cannot. I will not recant. Here I stand. That was Luther's stand. And during that time, he was not alone. There was John Calvin, Jan Hus, and other reformers who wanted to only reform the universal church, not separate from it. They all worked to maintain unity in various ways, But they all failed, every one of those reformers. Where is the unification? Where is the unity? And thereafter, divisions and splinters of churches and denominations became the the Protestant pattern. And you know what? There's no honest way to measure today that level of unity, but there are estimates that there are tens of thousands of Protestant denominations today. Oh, my. Furthermore, even the word denomination is declining amongst followers of Jesus. The more contemporary term we use now is network. And we're part of a network. So this background of disunity shows, asks this question, how can NC4 adopt this prayer of Jesus as our mandate to be a unifier, a unifying influence across denominations, networks, in cultures, in the face of that disunity? Where do you get the power to be a unifier? The answer comes partly in my next concept, and that is this the mandate to unify is placed into our hearts by the Spirit. It is the Spirit of God who puts us there. Let's turn to our next scripture Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, I'll start at verse 1. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is what Paul wrote. Now the term of the Spirit, the unity of the Spirit, it's a Greek grammatical term called the genitive form. And it could mean the unity of the spirit could mean source of, or it's the possessive term for the Holy Spirit. It could be the spirit's unity, or it could be unity that comes from the spirit. We are to maintain the unity that comes from the Holy Spirit. You want more unity? Get more of the Holy Spirit. Or if you're spirit-filled, you should desire unity. Let me say that again. If you're spirit-filled, you will desire unity. It's what the Holy Spirit does. So God has originally placed into the hearts of NC4 all the way back to our founders. This vision of oneness that transcends denominations and cultures, and it's the prayer that we pass this DNA Onto all of you today. That's our prayer. That's our hope that this DNA will be passed to each one. So the rest of this discussion on the DNA is really best handled by stories. So can I tell some stories? I have a lot of stories to tell that say, how NC4 does this. I'm gonna have to be quick about this because there are so much to discuss. Historically, during the formation of this church, here in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, there were many denominations that were experiencing the fullness or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That's in the late 70s and early 80s. How many of you here came to know Lord Jesus in the 70s and 80s, right? Because there's a move of the Holy Spirit upon us. And those believers sought out others who experienced the Holy Spirit. There was a special fellowship of those who had this shared experience of the Spirit. And New Covenant was then birthed out of that environment. Some prominent characters that we all know here at New Covenant, Jack and Trish Gableski, Dick and Ann Kovac, they were part of that. Even Ian's, Pastor Ian's grandparents, Conrad and Joy Martin, were part of that. This unifying power of the Spirit was the seed DNA for NC4 from our very founding. And it's notable, listen, it's characteristic of several of the revivals in America that people would gather together, brothers and sisters from otherwise unfriendly denominations came together during revivals. It's the Spirit of God who is calling to people to faith in Jesus was also unifying believers from different denominations during those days. So I'm certain some of you are going to say, are there any limits to which churches or denominations we're willing to unify with? What about doctrine? Doesn't doctrine matter? Well, actually, it is a critical issue because actually doctrinal purity is a major topic for lots of church splits and lots of church division. But another important characteristic that supports our mandate at NC4 to unify is in this next principle, which is this. NC4 seeks the balance of unity and diversity without compromise of the non-negotiables. There are non-negotiables. There's some things about which there's no negotiation. And we take the approach of the motto of the Moravian Church. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. See, this is a tough balance And, you know, we have not always gotten it right, I'll be honest. We aspire to that balance. But if you've been in our membership class, you know we always classify doctrinal positions of what's in the negotiables and what are non-negotiables. That's how we talk about doctrine. And the non-negotiables, classically, are the things that are in the creeds, other principles that we esteem, such as the value of Scripture, which Pastor Ian brought to us a few weeks ago. Here's an example of something. Is Jesus divine? Well, that's a non-negotiable. That's part of the creeds. Here's another example. What about drinking alcohol in moderation? At New Covenant, we consider drinking alcohol in moderation negotiable. Okay, that is, we don't have a policy on that as a church. How about this one? Tattoos. So somebody from the church came to me and they, they began to have tattoos put up and down their arms. And They said, so Bob, you don't have a problem with tattoos, do you? I said, aside from the fact that it, the scripture prohibits it, I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> and neither does NC4, actually. I'm joking. I'm joking. I did say that, though. Okay. <laughs> However, we will gladly fellowship with anybody who may attest to something like this. I won't drink or smoke or chew, and I won't go with girls who do, okay? If you wanna believe that, that's okay. We won't fight you on it, but maybe we won't let you teach Sunday school, okay? (laughs) So we accept a diversity of views, especially in this area. How is it all gonna end? Well, the scriptures, we have to say, support multiple views on that. And so we don't ascribe to one view, we share all the views and just say, you know, in the end, it's all going to pan out, is what we say. It's all going to pan out in the end, and then we'll all know then, won't we, who was right and who wasn't right. So this is a unifying position we try to maintain. We refuse to divide over negotiable issues. Moreover, we want to maintain this mandate to unify across denominations and across cultures. So if you want to know more about that, come to Membership 101 class and we can talk about all these things. So, I have a few more stories that help exemplify NC4's unifying mandate. So, um, in the next slide, all I'm just gonna say is, here we go, just more examples, just to help you to get a picture of what these mandates look like. Uh, Our founding, from our very founding, as I mentioned, Uh, we had a respect for other denominations and other churches. We formed associations with other churches here in the Lehigh Valley. And then in the 90s, I remember there was a a unifying event. They were called in-gatherings. There was multiple churches filled with the Holy Spirit. We'd come together for great worship services together. It's when I came to know about NC4, about knowing about where New Covenant was and that existed. And New Covenant held a prominent role during those years. Did you know there are two large pastoral affinity groups in the Lehigh Valley? They're headed by two of the founders of New Covenant. Did you know that? Pastor Jack oversees the One Voice Network until very recently. And Dick Kovac oversees the Share the Power pastors network This is another example that shows how we at nc4 from our founding we showed honor respect and we labored to be a unifying influence here in the valley oh another couple quick ones there was a fast-growing hispanic church from south bethlehem that desperately needed a new place to worship so nc4 we opened our doors and our hearts to templo el refugio And of course, that all happened because Pastor Jack had a close relationship with the pastor of that church. But he helped to cultivate this seed DNA in each one of us. So we we chose deliberately to labor for unity. So quarterly, we'd have combined worship services, songs in English, songs in Spanish, verse by verse. Some of the songs even had a strong Latin rhythm, cha-cha-cha. But for those who took part in this, We actually felt a smile of God upon those gatherings. We did. And listen to this. I'll give some other stories just because we don't have a lot of time for this. Our handling of church membership even shows this unifying concept. Although some of the pandemic has limited what we could do in this last year. Did you ever see this? When we have members who leave NC4 for various reasons to go to other churches, did you know that we asked them to come up and we will send them out with a blessing. What church does that? But we honor the other churches that they're going to by saying, we're gonna send you out with a blessing. You probably didn't know this. We transfer and receive member transfers from other churches by formal letters exchanged by pastors when they become members at this church. Did you know that? We try to honor those expressions. Maybe you didn't know this, at one time, there was somebody who wanted membership here, and they said, "I can't take membership here because I am under church discipline at another church." I said, "Well, what do we do about this?" He said, "I don't know." I said, "I know what I'm going to do. We're going to contact that church and tell them you have submitted yourself to our leadership, and we will petition them to release you from church discipline." And they did. Who a church in another state even was willing to cross this bridge with us and say, we're really one world church. And that was great to get a sense that we are, in fact, one church. How about this one? If any of our sheep show up in other pastures, those pastors always give us a call and say, by the way, I saw some of your sheep wandering in our pasture. I just thought you should know. It's it's just a unifying principle, you see? And likewise, we do the same if some of their members show up in our church. It's not really different churches. We're like one big happy family of God, you see? It's how it ought to be. It's how it should be. There's other examples which we don't have time for, but here's one for example. We support missionaries overseas, and we usually know very well these missionaries they're sent out usually from us to where they're going with prayer. And then we support them by short-term mission teams from the church to go out to them. So we're exerting our unifying influence into other nations as we seek unity, even with those missionary communities across oceans is how God uses us. There's so much more to talk about, but we don't have time. So I have to move on then and talk about one thing we probably should be working at. There's a lot we should do, I'm being honest. I don't mean to imply we have fulfilled this mandate. We've got a lot to do still. Here's an example. Did you know that Martin Luther King Jr. said this? Sunday at 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour in America. Did you know that? The most segregated we ever are is in church on Sundays. That ought not to be. And so if we're going to be unifying church, we ought to be unifying across denominations, cultures, and race. Listen, I can see them through the window over here. Grace Deliverance Baptist Church, a stone's throw from our Bethlehem campus. Now, a number of you from the Mukundee campus, I know you took counseling classes from them in the years past, but presently, as far as I know, it's only Peter James that participates in their weekly Bible study over there. Perhaps we can do more more of us can get involved in fellowshipping with that church because that crosses over other boundaries besides denomination, includes race too. So much to pray about. So here's my last challenge for all of us today. Will you be the answer to Jesus' final prayer? Will you take the mandate to heart? So as an outward sign of our worldwide unity with other believers in Jesus, we're going to recite together the Nicene Creed. This creed was first put together in the council in 325 AD. That's old. This is a very old creed. And in many churches, it's recited weekly. We're going to recite it together today. Okay. You ready, guys? We'll do this in unison. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him, all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, was suffered death, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. That's a very unifying statement of our faith. Now, perhaps somebody who's listening in today or maybe even someone here in person You heard this prayer that Jesus prayed for our unity, and you came to this realization and said, I really don't know Jesus very well. But maybe you sense that God is calling you to a deeper relationship with him. You can have that relationship by praying a simple prayer, and the prayer would go something like this. Dear Jesus, I need you in my life. I have messed it up. Please forgive me. I now turn away from the bad that I've been doing. Now I'm turning to you. Thank you for dying for me on the cross, for paying my debts. Thank you that you offer me complete pardon and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that spirit please come into my life. I want a deeper relationship with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.